0: Welcome to A Teaspoon of Healing, where we explore the pathways to wellness and vibrant living. Listen to personal stories of healing and interviews with experts. It's time to open a doorway to healing in your life through positive changes. Here is your host, Dawn Damari.
1: Hi, I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to A Teaspoon of Healing. This is episode 25 of the podcast, and today I have a guest, Stephanie Berg, She is a board-certified nutritional and lifestyle coach, so she's going to be talking about how she works with women who struggle with body image issues and emotional eating. She also shares her powerful story of healing. She is a former professional ballet dancer, and she shares her story of dancing and suffering several injuries and struggling with body acceptance issues after her time as a professional ballerina. So stay tuned for that. And if you want to listen to previous episodes of this podcast, visit my website, teaspoonofhealing.com and listen to all the episodes on there, iTunes, Spreaker, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein.
1: And before we get into our interview, let's hear from one of our sponsors, Goth Tours.
0: Hi, this is Goff, owner of Goff Tours, specializing in stand-up paddleboarding or surfing lessons. I even do snorkeling. You can reach me here. Orange County has what you're looking for. You can contact me via email at gofftours at gmail.com or mobile number is 949-338-5937, gofftours.com.
1: I'm Dawn Damari, and you're listening to A Teaspoon of Healing. Well, today I have a guest, Stephanie Berg, Board Certified Nutritional and Lifestyle Coach. Hi, Stephanie. Hey, Dawn. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great today. Thank you so much for joining me on A Teaspoon of Healing.
2: I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: I'm very happy to have you. So, Stephanie, you're a Board Certified Nutritional and Lifestyle Coach, so maybe tell our listeners a little bit about what you do. Sure.
2: So everything I do is really based upon the belief that when a woman has a deep and loving relationship with her body, ultimately herself, that she can create an amazing life for herself. And that really often ripples out into the relationships that she's surrounded by and her family and, and really has a powerful impact. Basically, when women are doing very well within their own relationship to themselves, it creates an amazing life. And I do that through private coaching, through online group programs. I lead retreats and do workshops and get to have fun conversations like this with you, people like you. It's some of my favorite work in the world that I've ever done.
1: Nice. And you primarily work with women, I think you mentioned.
2: Yep. Mm -hmm.
1: So Stephanie, I looked at your bio. We're going to talk about how you help people who have issues with emotional eating and body wisdom. Do you mind sharing your story of healing? You were a ballet dancer for a lot of your early life, and there were a few struggles that you had. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear your story and how you healed.
2: Yeah, sure. And I'll just start by saying that I feel like, you know, the healing process is ongoing. Mm-hmm. The deeper that we go in, in our, in our journeys, you know, on our journeys and within our relationships to ourselves, you know, we're constantly uncovering things that may be getting in the way of us, you know, being the best version of ourselves or living the most amazing lives. So I don't consider myself done <laughs> by any means. I'm still, much on the path of of inquiry and discovery and all of that. But I was a professional ballet dancer for over a decade. I started training, you know, as a dancer around age five. My grandmother enrolled me and my twin sister in dance lessons. and I very quickly fell in love with the medium, you know, the art form. It's such a beautiful, way of expressing oneself. And as a little girl, you know, just, I just fell head over heels in love with it. I kind of always knew that I was a little bit different than my peers at that age, like, is so driven, you know, from a very young age, and I would fall asleep, like listening to Tchaikovsky, you know, on, on headphones at night, and just really, really swept away by this world and super devoted to it from a very... Early point in in my training. And at five, you know, it was more of a sporadic thing, like an occasional thing, you know, maybe once a week or something. It wasn't, it was just a, a very nice, easy extracurricular activity. But I, you know, as I mentioned, like really fell in love with it and started to get more serious about it around the age of nine. And that was the first time really that I was asked to lose weight by an early mentor. And at nine years old.
1: That's really young. I don't mean, I know that's normal in the world of ballet, but that is
2: so young. It's so young. And actually, I've recently found pictures of me from that time and just looking at it like it's crazy, you know, to think that I would be asked to lose weight. I wasn't an overweight child by any means. You know, at nine, like most, I mean, I know things are a bit different now with our diet culture and self-judgment and and little girls, you know, often are, it's getting earlier and earlier that, that young girls are starting to have this like conversation about weight or seeing themselves as less than, but I know in my experience at nine years old, I didn't even really know what it meant to lose weight. I didn't know what a diet was. I didn't ever think about myself as being thin or fat. And so hearing those words at the, you know, in the beginning, you know, it was, pretty devastating. And I, I kind of felt like there was something really wrong with me. Like there must be something really wrong with me. And certainly my body, if this is like, if I'm being asked to to change and, you know, and, and that kind of started or, you know, was a deepening of, of this insecurity, this feeling of inadequacy that really took root and grew over the years as I, you know, went through adolescence and became a teenager and started to get even further on the path towards a professional career in dance and you know it, there's just this this negative belief about myself continued to grow and so when I got my first professional job I went to college, you know, sort of to appease my parents and have a backup dancing didn't work out and and out of college I was one of Two other individuals that got a contract to dance professionally when we graduated. And I was so excited, you know, it was like, this is the achievement of this huge dream. And in the first contract that I received, we had a weight clause in it that was basically saying, you know, we had three pounds, a weight range of three pounds that we couldn't go above or below. And if if we went above that range, then we wouldn't be paid. And of course, if we went below that range, even though it's in the contract, like nobody ever, we were celebrated the skinnier that we got or the the, the smaller that we became. Nobody ever was not paid for losing weight. But anyway, I, I remember thinking that that was, interesting, but like, oh, it's just part of the process. And I don't even know from from the age of nine until basically the end of my career, that conversation around weight was revisited time and time and time again. And we would call it the fat talk, like quote unquote, the fat talk, you know, like, oh, I got the fat talk. And it it was sort of like the norm. Certainly I've met people over the years or dancers over the years who, who didn't ever have to have that conversation. But I wasn't one of those, and you know. So, let's like go back a little bit to this this feminine art form, this beautiful like fairy tale sort of depiction, this this beautiful world of ballet, which is it's it's such a a feminine way of of moving, and the presentation of it is is just you know, it's it's beautiful, but the training is very, very rigid. It's very masculine in terms of energetics. You know, it's like basically very pushing, striving, forcing, no pain, no gain type of mentality. One thing that we would hear often is like, the audience doesn't care if your feet are bleeding. You you have to smile. Like you still have to present well, even if you're in pain. And so that really, you know, learning that sort of methodology from early on forced me to disconnect from my body in a way and to see my body as a hindrance and something that I felt trapped within. And like, if I had just been born with narrower shoulders or higher insteps, then my career would be better. If my legs were a little longer, if I would just like have the genes to to be skinnier, you know, I started to really hate and disconnect from my body. And, you know, for the people listening, you know, I know often that, it's not very many people that are professional dancers but so often we have those thoughts about our body or about ourselves in which it's like if i just had this thing different then everything would fall into place if i was just like if my body was just different if i were thinner everything would be better for me and you know so i i started to see my body really as a hindrance and something to be loathed and controlled and sort of beaten into submission just in terms of the the training and the training was pretty brutal. And I became very good at disciplining myself, you know, and and discipline was something that I prided myself upon, even though that meant, you know, starvation and pushing past those like signs of, you know, exhaustion and not really knowing when to stop. And that all worked great, you know, for quite a long time and, and really helped me to be super successful in my career until i hit 29 and that was the first injury that i'd ever experienced i mean and, and that's i feel really fortunate that it was it took that long before you know i actually got hurt but that first injury was a bitch it was like i didn't even know what was going on it was basically an, an ankle sprain that i had left untended i just kept pushing through it because you know as dancers that's part of the the whole deal like we push through the pain and we don't want to be injured because our career is so short we really don't want to miss out on any opportunity that we might be given and you know you're you're constantly dancing with some degree of pain or injury and so i just kind of you know continued to disconnect from it until i couldn't any longer and basically didn't really have the use of that foot so long story short it ended up you know resulting in surgery and I was out of work and off the stage for about a year, like give or take. And and that was probably the first time that I had had this space away from this commitment and this devotion to the world of dance and kind of started to get to know myself as a human being and an individual, not just a dancer. And within all of that, it was nice to have the break and nice to have a little more fun. And, you know, and, and I at the same time, I was super depressed. And I, you know, had a very intense experience, one of many of, of emotional eating at that time. And I gained, you know, a good bit of weight during that year. But after I had surgery and was on the mend and and healing, just everything in my being and my life was geared towards getting back on stage, like getting back to the life that I had. And so, you know, I went back to a lot of the ways that I had learned to manage my body and to manage my training and was restricting my calories. Like I was eating raw food, like raw vegan food, which was, you know, just basically a mask for anorexia. And I lost the weight that I had gained and then some, and I came back to work in the best shape of my life and in some ways stronger and better equipped you know than I had been because I I had, had like some amazing physical therapists that I worked with and I was celebrated by the company and I had this big role that I was you know coming back into they had like created it specifically to like celebrate my return to the stage and I was so excited about it and everything went really well and I was just grateful to be back in that world But then about six months later, my other ankle blew out. Oh, no. Yeah. I had another like six-ish months off. And the same story, like once I was healed and ready to get back into the swing of things, I just kept managing my body the way I always knew. And about six months after that, I had another injury. There were three injuries, actually. There were three injuries and there's actually another one after the third one but it wasn't quite as severe you know the third one was really terrifying in a lot of ways it was a neck injury that is permanent like it's something that I will live with for the rest of my life and it's it's not you know terrible now it's matured quite a bit but in those moments of experiencing that that injury like I my like life and career flashed before my eyes because I didn't I didn't know if I was going to be able to do normal daily tasks again. Like I didn't know if I was going to be able to lift my arms over my head. I was just so terrified. And essentially what had happened with that is without going into too much like trying to explain it, essentially I was like dropped out of a lift with a partner. And I was so wait, so you were lifted
1: up. Sorry to interrupt you, but so you were that's when they lift you up kind of above the head? Yes. So that you fell off or you were dropped or fell off at that. Oh, that's scary.
2: Yeah. And the other piece of that is that I was so malnourished at that time that my body couldn't sustain the force of that. And and so I had like a, a tear in the muscles in my back that led to like the essentially like the 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 pulling of my spine. And it's a bulging disc, which probably some people are familiar with, you know, may even experience, but it was, it was really intense. And I didn't know if I had blown it out at that time. It was, it's one of the most painful things I've ever experienced in my life. And it was pretty scary. And, you know, I, again, like this was the real like wake up call in some ways, because I had to really start to look at what was going to be next. So I was probably around like 31, 30, 31, you know? So it, this whole like experience of injuries and everything was about two, two and a half years or so. So, you know, I, I, when I was growing up as a dancer, the idea was never about like, what, what would I do afterwards? Like it was just achieving this goal of being a professional dancer. And once I had gotten there, it's like I'm just going to not even think about what's happening next. Because I want to enjoy this while I'm here. But the sort of downside of that is the identity that's created around this career and what happens when you physically cannot do it anymore. And, you know, I'm I'm 38 now and I'm retired. <laughs> you know, I was an expert, quote unquote, an expert in my field by the time I was, you know, dancing professionally. So in my early 20s and retired, you know, by 30 six, 35, 36. And that's
1: normal, right? That's normal in that. And, and also in like a lot of athletes as well. Yeah. Different than other careers where you, oftentimes you're, you know, you're retiring much older, but it's, it's,
2: it's normal in that world for sure. You know, but it's a difficult transition, you know, the layers of that continue to unfold. But anyway, like somewhere along that two and a half year journey, I, like I said, started to have to really think about what I was going to do like when this career was done and having the space away and coming back to the career there was a lot of misalignment a lot of things where I'd be like this is actually not really cool like I started to see the disconnect within how I was speaking to myself how we were spoken to as dancers the company that I danced for was extremely toxic I had the space to actually see how this environment wasn't serving me. And so the discomfort within not just the physical discomfort but the discomfort of misalignment, the discomfort of, you know, not like feeling like this was my purpose anymore became louder and louder and somewhere in that time I started to work with an organization out of New York called Career Transition for Dancers and they led me to a holistic nutrition school. In which I could go back to school and, you know, study nutrition and and actually do that as my job. And this organization, Career Transition for Dancers, they, you know, gave me a grant to go back to school. And it was amazing in the process of studying holistic nutrition and still dancing during that period. And I went on to dance after the neck injury for a few more years, but through the training at this nutrition school. I really began to see how broken my relationship to my body and to food were. And the realization of how much pain I had caused myself and like my body, which is, you know, my body is was not only my instrument at that time, but in so many ways my very best friend and support and ally. There was a whole other like layer of grieving and awareness, you know, and awakening just to, to recognize how horrible I had been to myself all of this time and to really have that desire to want to shift it and and come into wholeness and greater alignment within myself. So that's kind of a bit about the journey. Well, that was amazing, really
1: powerful. And especially this, the stories about, you know, those in, the injuries, you really picked yourself up each time and got back to it. But again, you know, the do you think that the strict diet that you had to be on, that all ballerinas have to be on, do you think, you definitely do think that that contributed a lot to maybe the frailty, the reason why it was easier just to get re-injured and re-injured?
2: For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, and, and now like knowing what I do know about nutrition and like having studied the things that I've studied, there are so many better ways that I could have still maintained like a a low weight, a healthy, like weight, but just, you know, done it in a different way. But I didn't know. And I think growing up in the place that I did and coming from where I did just in terms of schooling and all of that, like we didn't really have those resources. And I have certainly seen like more of a move towards that, you know, just a healthier way of, of doing things because essentially like we're athletes and we have to be strong and vibrant and energized in order to like maintain the schedules that we do and and there is a bit of a movement to you know of celebration of different body types. I don't know if you have heard of Misty Copeland. She's mm-hmm. kind of like the the cover girl. A lot of people know who she is these days. She's like really a champion for all of us who don't have the quote-unquote perfect ballet body. Like she's an amazing artist and dancer and she also has curves you know and, and I have a daughter that's that's an uh, 11 and she, she does tap but that's
1: was one concern that I had I'm actually glad she kind of, and I love ballet but I'm glad that she likes tap because it so seems to be a little more accepting of different bodies but I love to hear that ballerinas with curves now what do you as a nutritional holistic nutritional consultant and a lifestyle coach now if somebody what advice would you give to yourself in your previous life if to still maintain some sort of calorie restriction if you have to or not what 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 advice would you give to yourself on how to to heal from the injuries and to maintain your athletic you know vibrancy and viability but to do it more healthily
2: yeah that's a really great question <laughs> i would probably advise myself to seek out A mentor or a teacher that could help me to tune into the wisdom of my body and to really partner with my body. Somebody like find someone, find a resource that could help me partner with my body instead of fight against it in the ways that I did, you know, because like our bodies are so wise and so brilliant. And when we restrict calories and don't give them what they need, we're just essentially like fighting against ourselves, and our bodies will always get what they need. you know they will they are designed to ensure our survival. and we can only you know we talk about willpower often in the like the typical diet culture, diet industry, it's like willpower. If I just had more willpower then I would be able to like only eat a thousand calories a day. But the thing is our bodies can't operate in that realm for too long, and you can starve yourself for a set number of days but eventually like your body's going to do everything that she can to seek out food in order to ensure your survival. I would definitely like suggest finding a way to partner with my body or having someone support me in that and just also to really like drop in the notion that my body is and always has been my best friend. You know, one of the things that I share with my clients often is to refer to their body as she instead of it, our bodies are living, breathing female animals. There are two of us. There's our mind and there's our body. And the body often has wisdom that our minds cannot access. You know, you think about the term gut feeling, you know, our intuition that our intuition speaks through the sensations in our body. And I think back when I was dancing that my intuition was speaking really loudly about a lot of things, but I didn't allow myself to listen. I had disconnected so much from my body. I was essentially living, as many of us do, from the neck up and just glorifying the wisdom of the mind, you know, only the mind, the critical mind, like the mind is, you know, the highest form of intelligence but actually like our body is so brilliant you know like our minds can make up stories our minds can trick us and lie to us and create scenarios that don't actually exist i mean anxiety and worry hello <laughs> you know but our bodies don't lie our bodies do not lie and you know they are so deeply connected with our intuition they essentially like what you put in is what you get out and you know our bodies are always speaking to us in in subtle ways but because it's not english or whatever our native tongue is we don't often understand what those signs and signals are i wish for all like women and especially young girls to like have that awareness and that friendship and the partnership with with our bodies because they truly are our greatest allies and they're designed to keep us thriving in in any environment and You know, you think about cutting your finger or like, you know, scraping your knee or something like that. Like, you don't have to do anything for your body to heal. You don't have to think your body into healing. It just happens. Same thing as you you go to sleep at night, you don't really worry about waking up in the morning, you know? Our bodies have that wisdom, you know? Like, we don't have to do anything. Like, our bodies do that. Like, help us operate, breathe, like, see, you know, hear the smell like all of that we don't have to do anything but we think you know we think 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 like our minds are so strong that we constantly are thinking that the mind knows best and that the body is you know second or less than
1: now you work with emotional eaters is that one of the things that you when you work with women who are emotional eaters is that something that you incorporate to listen to the body and and how do you help emotional eaters
2: Well, emotional eating, you know, I think emotional eaters are all, we're all unique. We're all individuals. You know, what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another. There are some common themes that come up with emotional eating. And I struggled with emotional eating for basically like my whole life until I started studying nutrition and working through all of this. So it's something I know very well. And every situation is different, you know, but there are, like I said, there are some similar things that come up. And, you know, with emotional eating, this is a bit different than like compulsive overeating, you know, which may have deeper roots, but this sort of surface level or like typical mindless, you know, emotionally charged eating comes from a place often of wanting to feel better whether that's like less stressed or comforted or you know supported or excited you know some people don't just eat because emotionally eat because they're sad or frustrated or stressed some people emotionally eat because they're excited and they're happy and they're you know celebrating but it's it's essentially like really examining our relationship to food and putting food back into its rightful role in our life because food is not our girlfriend our you know, romantic partner, our, you know, best friend, you know, whatever. It's not, it's not going to give us the success that we desire in our career, you know, but often we put food in that role, you know, like we turn to food for our main source of support, nourishment, comfort, pleasure, when it's only one part of all of those things. Right. And so, I think everyone at one time or another ex- has experienced or will experience emotional eating.
1: I know I have. I know I have. And I've talked to a lot of other of my girlfriends and yeah. And it's almost even in popular culture, like when you break up with a boyfriend or you get dumped or something bad, happens, let's open up the fridge and ice cream, you know, Haagen-Dazs will be your you know, best friend for a couple of days when your girlfriends are tired of hearing you, you complain about it. So, you know, get the ice cream out. And or get a box of candy out, and then you know while you're crying, and then what that'll help you get over it. And it's probably not always the best thing to do, but it's it's okay. It's okay. You know it's normal. Do that. It's not like you're the only one that that does that. But when you're in that space, it's a very lonely space. And I I've been there. The emotional eating, you know, so I totally get it. And the shame that you feel as well. And I believe it's you know self shame, and you internalize shame from society.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's something that we, a lot of us, we all face it and we carry such shame around it and think that we're, you know, that there's something wrong with us, that we are broken. But actually it's like, you know, the, the sort of disconnect in our relationship to food, you know, it's how we're, taught. I mean, even like societal norms around like a breakup and eating the Haagen-Dazs or, you know, drinking a bottle of wine or whatever, you know, it's, it's normalized and it's something that we feel really bad about. I remember watching, maybe it was, I can't remember the show. It was like some comedian was saying, I just eat until I hate myself, you know? (laughs) And it's like, it is a form, sometimes it's a form of comfort and sometimes it's a form of, of punishment. And it's kind of like getting to the root of, of where the challenge lies. But I'm of the mindset that, you know, we're always doing our best, even when it doesn't seem like it. And that something like emotional eating, which can be, you know, super difficult to, to go through, you know, in terms of how we feel about ourselves afterwards, it's typically coming from that part of ourselves that wants to, like, take care of us. And often we don't think about the other ways that we can do that. What other
1: things can, would you suggest that people can do, or do you advise your clients when they're feeling the urge to emotionally eat, use food as comfort, do you suggest maybe meditation or I'm, su- I'm assuming, you know, a lot more about this than me, but are there other healthier things you can do?
2: Yeah, totally. Like, the, I mean, and one of the first things that I would say, like in the moment of you know either feeling pulled towards eating when you're feeling emotional or stress, you know, stressed or whatever it is, emotional eating or that response is it's like our body's alarm clock. You know, it's like that pull, the stress or whatever it is that's driving us to that. It's it's our body's way of saying like we need something and it's time to like take a pause, you know, but instead of taking that pause, we sort of, the pause to drop in and see what it is that's actually going on with us, we hit the snooze button by stuffing our face with food. You know, we like sort of, we don't actually feel our feelings. And so often I will ask people just to practice taking that pause, slowing down. Like even if you are in the middle of a bag of chips, you know, or you're headed to the refrigerator and you know that you're going to like scarf down that thing of ice cream or cookies. It's like, can you create enough distance by slowing down to observe yourself within the moment, whenever that moment happens to like, whenever you happen to be aware of what's actually going on. So like, if you are you know, polishing off a pan of brownies and you're like, you, you finally come to and be like, what the heck am I doing? (laughs) Like actually give yourself that moment to like, stop and look at it instead of like judging yourself and, and get super critical of yourself, like really be curious and try to understand like, what's actually going on here? Like, what do I actually need in this moment? So it's maybe not necessarily Stopping, like telling you to stop the behavior because that's, you know, way easier said than done. But it's starting to create those moments of space and distance in which you can really start to see what's happening, you know, to watch yourself, to become that observer, to practice that mindfulness around your actions, to observe what it is that you're doing and maybe start to, from there, like uncover why and what would be a better way. And another thing is that, we are so used to, you know, in, in this culture, you know, particularly in North America, it's like we have access to food everywhere we go. Like you can get food in the checkout aisle of Staples, you know, like why do you need food at an office supply store? You're right.
1: You're right. And it's, and it's not good food either. It's not that I should label good or bad, but it's not, i us say, the healthiest food that you're going to see in those places, but it's available Everywhere.
2: Everywhere. And so it's become easier. So whereas when we were like cavemen and we had to hunt and gather our food, we just didn't have this, the ease of access, we'll say. And so we we have food everywhere and it's, eating is pleasurable to us. Like we all love to eat. And so, you know, the food industry knows that to some extent, and particularly with some like food products that are out there, they're designed like perfectly to be that like chemical concoction of like fat and sugar that makes our brains go crazy and want to just keep eating more. So we have like, it's like a a food jungle in some ways, like the odds are truly stacked against us in in a lot of ways. And like with food being so pleasurable, of course we're going to turn to that. If we don't know any other way, we're going to turn to that main source of pleasure. And with a lot of us and our busy lifestyles and, you know, the rejection of doing things that are fun or like tapping into that inner child and like actually playing and, you know, taking space from our, our hectic day to day, like the only source of pleasure that many of us has, have is, is food, you know? And so of course we're going to turn to that when in actuality, like it's a very counterfeit form of pleasure or joy or relaxation or, whatever it is, like it might, it might soothe within the moment. But after the fact, those effects aren't really lasting, and they typically will end up making us feel worse. And so, you know, another thing that I will look at with clients is like, what is what is the pleasure source in your life? Are there sources of pleasure that don't relate to food? Like, what do you do that's just for you? And I'm not talking about like, just self care. It's such a buzzword right now. Those behaviors are great, but like really tending to our deep emotional needs. How are we doing that if at all? And also like, what are the behavioral things? What are the external things that we can, you know, do to create joy and pleasure in our lives? Because when that tank is full, when the joy and pleasure tank is, is full with true forms of nourishment that don't just relate to food, you know, like a deep connection with, You know, a friend or being in nature and actually breathing fresh air, you know, those simple things that can go a long way for helping us to feel supported and held and relaxed and, you know, any of those needs that we have. If we have those sources of support in our lives, we're much less likely to turn to food as the only source of joy and pleasure and, and like nourishment, soul nourishment, I'll say, than if we didn't have them.
1: I really like that. And it's almost like it's a drug in a way, because drugs have those same
2: mm-hmm.
1: effects. You know, yeah, they make you feel great. They're, they're a pleasure, you know, activates the dopamine, the pleasure centers. But then, you know, afterwards not great. So it's really an addiction and not to put any shame again because we all shame ourselves for it. It's just the way it is. And a lot of the food industry though they're going to manipulate that. Now you mentioned something about um you know lifestyle and how your your inner world helps you heal. What are your thoughts on that that it's not just about, you know, what you're eating but the whole holistic looking at the person holistically.
2: Yeah. I'd love to talk about that. So, how we do one thing is how we do everything. And we're not just an arm or a leg, we're like a whole person with a whole life of complexities and, you know, we don't often take that into account and and typically we'll just look at food as something that's problematic, right? And so we think that like if i could just get this food piece under control then everything would fall into place but often it's much deeper than that like food is just the symptom you know of of what is what is going on in other areas of our life like what might be showing up in one area such as food is likely happening in other areas of your life as well. Like those patterns that are created. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about pleasure and nourishment, like that goes beyond the food that you eat, the food that's on your plate. It, it also is comprised of, you know, a fulfilling career, you know, healthy relationships, how you're moving your body, what your spirituality or connection to yourself is. And that's, that's sort of that holistic view, you know, really looking at the whole person, their whole life and how that's functioning, you know, as a whole, because if one area of your life, including your relationship to food is out of whack, like it's likely affecting all of the other areas, you know? So if you are for example having a rough time in your marriage you may be more likely to mistreat your body and emotionally eat or to feel so stressed out about what's going on at home that you can't really think about much else you know then let alone like taking care of yourself like it can really take a lot of energy and you know the idea of holistic nutrition is is really to kind of create balance You know, among all of those areas, or at least nurture each of those areas so that we can feel stronger from the foundation, that we can feel like more whole individuals. Because even if we eat the best food and, you know, it's organic, it's, you know, really lots of vegetables, like the best quality food, but we're really lonely, we don't have meaningful friendships in our life or relationships like what does it matter if we're eating really well you know and and then I'm sure you know we all know someone who maybe doesn't eat that great but is really happy and and doesn't really struggle with their weight you know so it's it's just kind of like taking a look at the whole picture and and really feeding the whole being and their whole lives versus just focusing on the food because crap when I was like dancing, that raw vegan diet was like exquisite. it was beautiful but it wasn't like first of all it wasn't enough but there were so many other areas in my life that I were that I was unhappy in and you know it, it's just food is just one small part of the equation. It's an, an important part for sure, but it's just one small part and often like with my clients, you know food is kind of the entry point food and the body is the entry point to really starting to create better lives for themselves because we typically will work through food stuff really quickly and then the rest of our time together is more about like how do you really start living the way you want to live because you know as i said to you early before earlier before we started recording like most people know the difference between you know, a cheeseburger from McDonald's, will say, and, you know, kale, like, which is a healthy choice, you know, obviously, like we, we, we know the difference between those things. It's not, it's not, that's, that's not the question. And most, most people know, it's just, what's the number one thing that gets in the way of us consistently doing those things that we need to It's lifestyle, it's it's our inner belief system, like whether or not we feel like we're worthy of having time and space for ourselves. And, you know, how do we actually establish boundaries and say no to others, you know, not do things that we hate, you know, like how do we how do we create the space and the environment for ourselves to make those better choices over and over again?
1: I love that. And it really is so much more than food and also. What do you think about, you know, maybe our, the way we perceive food and maybe in other cultures like here, Italy, for example, France, they really enjoy the food. I know this is coming back to food and maybe, you know, the joy of life, joie de vivre. Do you think that's an important part as well to just sitting down, enjoying, being thankful for your food and enjoying life a little bit more? Our culture is very different. It's much more on results and live to work, you know? And I always wonder if maybe, you know, sometimes they're going to, they're eating plenty of pastries over there yeah. and they're very healthy. Not all, not everybody, but I don't know if there's something there with that. Enjoying life, enjoying food, you know, not, not to a crazy extent Yeah. where you're just eating fast food, but well-prepared, nutritious food and enjoying life.
2: Yeah. I, I don't I think know. That's a huge correlation. I mean, I love traveling. I love traveling. And part of that is the food too, you know? <laughs> and, I, and I love food personally. Like, I mean, food is a huge part of my life. I'm, I'm a foodie, I'm a self-proclaimed foodie, and I love healthy food, you know? And at the same time, like, I think when when we're thinking about other cultures, I, and not to like, I, I don't want to like, you know, hate on on America, but we do have different values in this country. Like a lot of what we strive for is is based around achievement. You know, our identities often are wrapped up in like what we do versus who we are. You know, it's like constantly climbing that ladder. Whereas in other cultures, there's so much more of an essence of being depending on where you go, you know, and moment to moment is a celebration of life whether that's food, whether that's like connecting with the family, whatever those things are, you know, and there is less of this, you know, pushing, striving in, in our heads only mentality. There is more of that pull to like slow down and take our time. And whether it's like a meal that lasts for three hours or, you know, and, and that includes like wine and dessert, there's something like biologically speaking you know, there's something to be said about the relaxation process when we're eating. I mean, it actually helps you digest and metabolize your food better. You know, when you're present, when you're like enjoying your food, you're eating food that you actually love when you're, you know, laughing and enjoy, like it's, it's a much different experience for your body to process that food. And I was just recently in Mexico and observing you know, the particular area that I was in, just like the care and the love with which a lot of the people did their daily tasks. There wasn't this like rushing and scurrying around. And of course, this is me just observing who knows what's actually in their brains. But I've noticed it in Mexico. Yeah, Yeah. there's just like a, like a more relaxed vibe, for sure. Just like a, a sense of pride and love for the mundane, you know, and I've thought about that a lot, like even within my business, when as a dancer, like that constant, like striving for success and achievement and, you know, hitting goals and things like that. And that takes us into to our brains, into our heads and, you know, again, like back into the, the mind versus like being really present or embodied you know, and enjoying those little, those mundane moments of life as celebrations of being alive on the planet right now, you know, instead of like scurrying and rushing, there's just much more of a sense of presence and ease. And I think, you know, obviously it would be great to be the vacation version of ourselves all the time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, how do we take that back home with us? And often it's, it's just a matter of, finding those moments to slow down, to like really focus on one thing at a time, and stop trying to multitask all the time to like turn off the computer or the phone when we're eating. Just really take those moments to connect with ourselves. And I think you, like much like you mentioned in Europe and Italy, it's, there is just a more relaxed pace in, in a lot of ways. And we could learn a lot from that.
1: Well, thank you so much, Stephanie. Well, before we sign off, Where can people get in touch with you if they're interested in coaching or your webinars or I just want to ask you a question?
2: Yeah, I I would love to connect with anyone and just hear what you thought or anything that's come up for you. You can find me at my website, which is stephaniebergcoaching.com. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to email me, you can email directly to I'm at stephanie at stephaniebergcoaching.com.
1: Great. And is there anything you want to share with our listeners before you sign off?
2: Just thanks for being here. And thanks for being a part of, of this conversation and for expanding yourself and, and your mind in terms of how you're living and taking care of yourself. Okay, well,
1: thank you so much, Stephanie. I really enjoyed this chat with you. And again, if listeners have any questions, you can contact Stephanie at stephanieberg.com and it's B-U-R-G. And you can also go to my website, teaspoonofhealing.com and fill out the contact form or email me from there and I can forward the questions on to you, Stephanie.
2: Thank you so much, Don. It's been so great to be here with you.
1: You're welcome and thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Teaspoon of Healing. If you have any questions for me or for my guest, email me, dawn at teaspoonofhealing.com. You can also visit me on Instagram at teaspoon healing or Facebook.com slash healing. And if you want to listen to previous episodes or read my blog, visit TeaspoonOfHealing.com. And lastly, if you are not currently a subscriber to this podcast on iTunes, you can go to iTunes, search for A Teaspoon of Healing. Please subscribe and leave me a star rating and a review. I'd really appreciate it. Talk to you next week. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to A Teaspoon of Healing with Dawn Damari, your home for wellness and vibrant living. For more resources on wellness and vibrant living, visit us online at teaspoonofhealing.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please consult a physician or other health professional before undertaking changes in lifestyle or wellness habits. The author claims no responsibility to any person or entity for any liability, loss, or damage caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly as a result of use, application, or interpretation of the information presented herein.